8, reading verses 18 through 30. This will give us the context in terms of God's plan for redemption that will then shape what we look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So Romans chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 18 through 30. This is found on page 1122. Please rise out of respect for God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now turning over to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll be reading verses uh, 4, 16 through 5.5, but the focus will be on 5, 5, uh, 5, 1 through 5. This is found on page 1147. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Thus far the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you for teaching us what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And we thank you for giving us the big picture of history, even before it's all fully realized, so that we might be encouraged and that we might be strengthened to obey your will, and also that we might feel aright the things that we ought to feel as your beloved children. So we pray that you would shape not only our minds, but also our behaviors and also our feelings, so that, Lord, we would feel rightly what we ought to feel and to think in response to your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe you've heard people talk about being so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. And the picture is usually of somebody who has their heads in the cloud, clouds all the time. Um, they're, they're maybe always thinking about the Bible or thinking about God and, and, and always in prayer. And, and on the one hand, this is great, but they also forget to do the laundry and they forget to make dinner. And, and so there is a danger there. Um, God's given us earthly responsibilities, and we need to care for those things, even while we are also seeking to be heavenly-minded. But of course, there's also the opposite danger, right? Even for Christians, to be so earthly-minded that we lose sight of our heavenly glory that awaits. Uh, We can become so preoccupied. Have you ever experienced this, where you're walking along a trail and, and it's like really, really heavy going? And you're just really tired, and all you're seeing is like the dirt in front of you, and you don't ever look up to see, whoa, there's this amazing vista just right in front of you. Has that ever happened to you? We can have our mind so set on the here and now, the dirt and grime of our present existence, that we forget the glory that is to come. So what about you? Do you have a heavenly mindset? To what extent... Does the glory that is about to be revealed at the return of our Lord and Savior, to what extent does that grab you? And to what extent does that actually penetrate your daily headspace? Where you are actually thinking about where this is all headed, where you are headed. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is trying to get us to lift our head off of the trail. He's trying to get us to look at the glory that is ahead of us. And so that's what he's focused on here in 2 Corinthians 5. He's, he's trying to get us to see ahead to the big glorious map of our lives. And that's what we'll be looking at first in five through, uh, 1 through 5, just passing through these verses and showing what does it say about the great big picture of our lives, of this phase of redemption. And then we're going to consider how that map should make us feel. We're going to make another pass through verses 1 through 5 and look at all the places where he tells us, here's how you should be responding to this, this great map of redemption. And then we're going to spend the last part just reflecting on our own hearts. Um, Do we feel that? And if not, what should we do? Well, remember 2 Corinthians 4 at the end of it. It's been a while since we've been in this, but remember how he was talking, this is part of why I read it just now, how he was talking about the outer self, which is wasting away, in the inner self, which is being renewed day by day. 
And the idea is our bodies may be declining, but God is doing such a good work in our souls that as we progress, we become more and more within like Jesus Christ. And so one of the big immediate payoffs of this is that for us as Christians, getting old is actually a good thing. Isn't that crazy that that to get old, even as we're feeling our bodies starting to wear down and not work as well as they ought, yet our souls are being perfected and glorified day by day after the image of Jesus. And so that's why he's saying there in verse 418 that we should not look to the things that are temporary, the transient things that are passing away, but we should look to those great glorious things which are eternal, the things that God's already doing in our hearts. But what about our bodies? After all, our bodies are declining. What, what happens when they die? What, what then? And that's the scenario that Paul then raises in 5.1. He's raising the scenario, okay, one day you're going to die. What happens when your earthly tent, that means your body, what happens when your earthly tent, that is your earthly home, what happens when it's destroyed? What happens when your old creation body dies? And he says, we know that if our earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. Now just think about that contrast right away. Tent versus building. Tent is something temporary. Building is something permanent. Right? So right now, the body you have is a temporary tent. What you're looking forward to is a building, a permanent dwelling place for your soul. And it says it is eternal in the heavens. It says also that it is not made with hands, not subject to human flaws and problems. It is made by God. In other words, he's talking about the glorious new creation body that you will have when Jesus returns. When you return, when Jesus returns, you will be clothed with a permanent body that will never grow old. It will never tire. It will never be subject to sin or to corruption. And he's saying, get ready. Get excited about the glory that is about to be revealed in your bodies, not just in your souls. And in verse 3, to explain a little bit more about the glory of this new creation body. And he says this, he switches from the metaphor from buildings to clothes. And he says, look, when you put on this new building, uh, there's the switch, right? We don't really put on buildings. We do put on clothes. He says, when you put on this new building, you won't be found naked. Now, there's probably a recollection here back to Genesis 3. Remember how Adam and Eve were found naked? It was on Judgment Day. It was on the day when God came, and the same thing as being naked. Um, they, they had nothing to clothe them and to shield them from the judgment that was rightly put on them. They were found naked because they tried to clothe themselves in something made with hands, right? The clothes that they had made with hands. And what God has in mind is something far better. He has given to us, he's going to give to us a body that on that judgment day, when you and I stand before the great throne, of, we're not going to be ashamed in feeling, oh no, what if God sees this? What if God sees that? What if God knows all the shameful things that I've done? No. Look at verse 4. 
We are longing, not that we would be unclothed, in other words, free from this old creation body. No, we are longing that we would be further clothed, that we, what is mortal, that is our old creation bodies, what's subject to weakness and death, would be swallowed up by life. So Paul's trying to give us a big map. And here, just to sort of translate what I just said, here's the big map. On the day that Jesus returns, we will forever leave behind the old creation bodies. They will be thrown into, uh, they'll just be removed. They'll be like, you know, old rags that you're just like, there's nothing good for this. They're old, they're stinky, they're rags, they're gone. Old creation bodies, gone. And what happens? God is going to then reclaim those old creation bodies and he's going to raise us up with new creation bodies. Think even about the Lord Jesus Christ. His old creation body was then raised glorious and eternal. And that glorious, incorruptible body is what we are to long for. And there's this one last piece here in verse 5 that's really to so encourage us as we're thinking about this glorious hope that we have. It says, the one who's preparing all of this glory is actually God. And remember how the word prepare was used earlier. In chapter 4, verse 17, it said that all of our sufferings in this life are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God is taking all the sufferings of this life, all those ways in which we feel our old creation body and all of its weakness and all the times we feel shame and all the times in which we feel that we are just crumbling. And God's using that to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory. And to remind us of this, he gives us a down payment. And it is not a small down payment. Did you notice what the pledge is? Our first taste of glory is the Holy Spirit. So anytime you're tempted to think, like, is this old creation body that's just feeling so weak and so broken, is this actually going anywhere good? Well, just consider the Holy Spirit within and how already... God has given to you the power to grow in holiness and glory within making our souls invincibly glorious through the Spirit. So this is the road to glory that we're on. And this is what Paul wants us to see as we lift our eyes up from the dirt and look on the horizon. He's wanting us to see, look, you are destined for glory, not just in soul where you'll be perfected in holiness, but in body as well. And to remind us that it's really coming, he's already given us the Spirit. And when we start to bask in this, in the glory of our redemption, what, what should we feel? How should we respond to this magnificent gift? And Paul tells us, this is our second point, he says, twice, we groan. We groan. And you might think, wow, that's kind of actually a strange thing to say. I wasn't actually expecting that he was going to say, we groan. <laughs> um, you might be thinking, we shout for joy. We breathe a huge sigh of relief. But now he says, we groan, which could also be translated, we sigh with longing. And the other time Paul uses this word in eight, Romans 8, which is why we read that part of Romans 8, um, is helpful for understanding this. He says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so this helps us understand what he's talking about when he says groan. It's not just 
groaning in the general sense of, oh, I feel miserable. Anybody can do that. Uh, you know, non-Christians groan all the time when they're suffering. No, this groaning is a groaning with longing, a groaning with a trajectory. Remember from Romans 8, what was the, the groaning that he was just describing in the verse prior? It was the groaning of a woman in childbirth. She's looking for something beautiful at the end of all of this, a, a child. This is the kind of groaning that a refugee has when they're groaning for a better, more peaceful place to live. This is the kind of groaning that a kid has as it just feels like their birthday will never come and they're just groaning with longing. This is the groaning that an engaged couple feels when they're just so looking forward to being married and they just can't wait for the big day. If you rightly know your place in the map of redemption, if you rightly know where this is all headed, then you will groan in that sense. You will groan with longing. You will feel like a pilgrim yearning for that great glorious city which is to come. You will look forward with deep and great anticipation with a body, for a body that will look and finally be the kind of body that we need to be able to enjoy and glorify God forever and ever. Are you groaning for that? Are you looking forward to that? Is this something that animates you, that, that sense of like, wow, God is going to so clothe us with glory that we will actually be fit for heaven. Like we will actually be suited for it. We'll be created to enjoy it as we ought. And so do you feel this way? And this, this is where I, I want to ask us just in the, the third part here is, you know, our feelings, they're sometimes so confusing to us, but they're, they're usually helpful indicators of what is actually going on deep down. And if we pay attention to our feelings and ask ourselves, why do I feel this way? A lot of times we will be confronted with brutal honesty about what actually is deep in our hearts. And so I want to just think together about what are some of the reasons for why we don't groan? Why do we not groan with longing? When there's such glory ahead, why do we not often feel this way? Here are two possible reasons. One is this. First is that we are honestly just completely absorbed with the dirt on the trail directly in front of us. We are just completely preoccupied with the life that is in front of us. And, and we can be thinking to ourselves, okay, yeah, I mean, I know I'm a Christian. Like, I, glory awaits me. Awesome. Sounds great. But it's like way out there. <laughs> and honestly, I got a lot of stuff to do today. I mean, it'd be sort of like asking, hey, are you looking forward to Christmas like in February? Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't really think about it. It's so far out. Um, but really, are you so absorbed in the here and now, the things to fix, the work that got, you got to do, the kids to raise, the bills to pay, blah, 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 that you've forgotten to look up and to remember what is ahead of you? Yeah, you don't want to be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good, but you also don't want to be so earthly minded that you forget the glory that is to come. Imagine for a second a young woman who's engaged to be married. She's living with her lady friends. She's working a, a job and saving up for the new life that she's going to have with her husband-to-be. And, of course, there's all kinds of daily things she's got to attend to. She's got to love her roommates. She's got to honor her employer. Uh, all the stuff to just kind of keep life going, right? 
But think of this, this person. If this person, this young lady, if she were ever to like lose sight of her wedding day and just start thinking that the life that she's living is the life that's just going to keep on, this is what life is going to be like for the rest of my life, well, there's something really wrong about that. Like, you've got to remember what, what's, what's coming. The big day. Big changes. And in the same way, we should never be going a day where we're not at least feeling and hopefully praying, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm looking forward to your return. I'm looking forward to the big wedding feast of the Lamb. And you know, there are a couple of things God gives us as we go through our day that can be like little, you know, uh, string on the finger, or, you know, little, little reminders to look forward to that big day. Um, he uses the disappointments and the pangs of disappointment to remind us right? As I mentioned before, you know, unbelievers, they groan all the time at bad things that happen. But it's another thing to have something bad happen and to say, Lord, I'm really looking forward to the day when these things will end. I'm looking forward to when you return. Come quickly, right? Or you can also use the good things as a reminder. Again, just like the bride-to-be, she's seeing all these things around her in her life, and she's thinking in everything that she sees, the big day. She's, she's using all of them as, like, reminders, right? In the same way, we can enjoy a really special time with family, and we're thinking to ourselves, man, this is so sweet. I'm just so enjoying this, right? But at the same time as we're experiencing that, we're also sensing, and heaven's going to be even greater. The new creation's going to be even more awesome. And we're praising God for that. But we have to guard, brothers and sisters, against a myopic focus on the, this creation. 4.18, look not to the things that are transient, but to the things that are eternal. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above where Christ is, not on things below. You know, Christians can become worldlings. We can become deeply worldly people where our horizon and our ambitions are really just exclusively circumscribed by this life. You know, our family goals, work goals, political goals, fun goals. That's all that we're thinking about. That really is the entirety of our desires. And Paul's saying, no, don't forget, don't forget the glory that is to come. Do not lose your thirst for Jesus Christ. So do not be preoccupied with this world that is to come. Renew your longing for Christ. Use all the cues that God gives you throughout your life to look to him. Use the word as an opportunity to stir yourself up to say, you know, there is more that I was made for than just this world. And keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. You know, when God meets with us each week here in worship and, and when we partake of the sacrament, he's actively telling us, you were made for greater things. So just soak that up and use that as your time to look forward to the glory that's to come. Well, I want to talk really briefly about one other reason why we might not be looking to the glory that's to come. One reason is we're just so preoccupied with what's here below. But another reason could be that we don't have confidence that we will actually inherit the glory that's to come. We actually think, you know, I'm going to get to the end, but I, I'm actually kind of afraid that I am going to be naked on the last day, that I am not going to be clothed in glory, that God's just simply going to see all the stuff that I did, and it's not going to go well. Or we might be thinking, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to glory, but there's been some such hurtful things that have happened to me in this life that I cannot imagine 
that I will actually be able to stop weeping for this. Like, it's just, it's too deep. And to answer this, that's why God gave us the Spirit. That's, again, the guarantee, the Spirit. He gave us the Spirit to remind us that, yes, you will be clothed in glory. You do belong to me. And yes, the Spirit really will make all things new, including those seemingly irreparable things, including your soul. That's why he gave you the Spirit. So brothers and sisters, if you're not actively groaning and longing for the new creation, if that attitude is absent in you, I think this is your reminder. Pay attention. There's something that needs to change inside. And look to the Lord Jesus Christ. The the Lord Jesus is alerting you to this so that then you can change. It may be that you've lost sight of your first love and you've replaced him, the Lord Jesus, with other loves. It may be that, as C.S. Lewis put it, you are so wedded to the world that thinking you're finding your place in it when actually it's finding its place in you. Or it may be that you have too long forgotten to lift your eyes up from the trail to look and behold the glorious city that is coming closer every single day. Yes, it's far off, it seems far off, but that majestic city is on its way and it's coming closer and closer to you, that glory that is guaranteed to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder to look up and to know that our redemption draws near and to rejoice and to know that this valley of tears is but a brief momentary light affliction in comparison with the glory that is to be revealed on the last day when we will be not naked but clothed with magnificent glory that we will actually be fully suited with new creation bodies for an eternity of glorious enjoying of you in the new creation. We thank you that you will transform these lowly bodies that are filled with weakness and imperfection and that break down little by little every day and that you'll give to us glorious new creation bodies that will become ever more strong and powerful and suited for you and for your glory. Lord, we look forward to this, and we pray that you would hasten the day, and you'd help us not to stop praying that you would hasten the day. And we pray in Jesus' name.